Wired into technology transformation, this is the Digital Bulletin Podcast. Hello, listener. Thank you for tuning in to episode seven of the Digital Bulletin podcast. We've got something a bit different for you this month, something of a healthcare technology special, and it's about time we got some proper expertise onto the panel. So we're delighted to welcome Roland Pater. Hello, Roland. Hi there. Hi. Roland is the founder of Nori Health, a health tech platform and AI-powered chatbots, which supports those suffering from Crohn's disease and colitis. Roland, thank you for joining us. How, how are you coping in these um, strange times that we live in at the moment? Yeah, it is, um, it is a difficult uh, period of time, of course. I'm, uh, I'm trying to stay healthy both uh, physically and mentally, and also um, trying to build our company um, uh, remotely. So it's, um, yeah, it's an interesting time. Definitely. Now we look forward to hearing all about Nori and, and how it's adapting like everybody else to the coronavirus pandemic. We'll also get Roland's analysis on the wider COVID-19 and sort of healthcare landscape alongside the thoughts of regular contributor, Digital Bulletin CEO, Romilly Broad. How are you, Rom? Hello, I'm doing, doing really well. I'm really looking forward to this actually for, for lots of reasons, which I will explain. Explain now or explain at some point? All oh, right. Okay. <laughs> well, um, there's, I mean, there's lots of things to talk about. Um, there is how uh, we we go about uh, running companies during a coronavirus, of course, uh, especially uh, smaller or newer companies. I think that's an interesting thing. But for me personally, this is interesting because of what um, Roland is doing with Nori Health and Crohn's and colitis, because I happen to be one of hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people around the world who um, uh, suffer with this issue. In fact, it's not just uh, Crohn's and colitis, I suspect, and that we might want to ask uh, Roland about this as well but um, I think half of all people suffer mm. or live with some kind of chronic i.e long-term uh, illness and what we're talking about here is some really interesting technology that can genuinely um, help people um, to to live with and succeed in life despite those kind of obstacles and it's it's going to be a really interesting conversation to find out how you're doing that and, and how indeed you're doing it right now because it's even yeah. harder right now definitely yeah, exactly. so we'll get to that um after our news roundup so yeah to flesh out our healthcare special we will also discuss our recent case study on hartman group as well as reviewing an ai in healthcare hackathon that rom attended pre-pandemic but before any of that here's some news There's still plenty going on in the world of enterprise tech. In relation to COVID-19, we continue to see big companies making big commitments. In the last few days, both Cisco and HPE have set up billion-dollar financing initiatives to support their customers and partners through these unprecedented times. Zoom has been in the headlines this month because of security concerns, concerns that led to it appointing Facebook's former security chief as an advisor and setting up its own cybersecurity council. I don't think anything could have prepared companies like Zoom for this remote working revolution. But away from the pandemic, we've also seen Arvind Krishna get down to work as IBM's new CEO. Koch has completed its $13 billion acquisition of Infor. And T-Mobile and Sprint's mega merger in the telecom space in the United States finally got over the line. Now, as you know, you can find a full roundup of the reporting on these stories and many, many more via the bulletin on digitalbullet.in. But now we're going to open the coronavirus tap and look at the pandemic through the lens of the healthcare industry and technology and talk about how technology is standing up to the challenge of healthcare provision during this global health emergency. But before we get stuck into that gritty topic, let's find out a bit more about our guest, Roland. It's great to have you on. Maybe you can start by introducing Nori Health and, and, and explaining what, what your company does and talk a bit about the, the kind of technology that you guys are utilizing as well. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. So, um, yeah, so I'm the founder of Nori Health. Thank you again for, for, for having me. Um, I've been working in digital health for, uh, for some years now, um, doing work in, um, for example, sleep improvement, skin cancer detection and mental well-being. And I started Nori Health uh, two years ago based on my own experiences as a Crohn's disease patient. Uh, which is a form of inflammatory bowel disease, the collection name for, for, for multiple diseases. Um, and the lack of support I experienced um, next to medical care um, uh, laid the foundation uh, for this company. So 
what we do is um, providing a digital program for people with inflama inflammatory bowel disease. Um, and Nori is a conversational coach or a chatbot, if you uh, know a bit more about the technology, um, to help patients discover and maintain a physical and mental well-being. Um, and this is done through regular chat conversations with Nori across over 100 evidence-based topics that impact quality of life um, with a main focus on lifestyle behavior and mental support. That's really interesting. And as Rom, as Rom said earlier, we, we've got the kind of ideal scenario here because we have Romilly who, who is a sufferer with, with Crohn's disease. Rom, yeah. from, your, from your position as somebody who would benefit greatly from, from the kind of work that Nori Health are doing, what, what are your thoughts here? I think it's great. So I've, I've signed up um, too late, so I haven't actually tried it yet, um, but it, I, I will be. And I, I think one of the things that I, my eyes have been, and we'll talk about more, more about this, but one of the things that uh, my eyes have been open to a bit uh, recently is how um, AI as a generalized term through things like chat, chatbots can be used in all sorts of healthcare contexts, but in particular this, which is the gap between uh, medical interventions of one kind or another, whether that's simply an appointment with a with a specialist or, um, you know, bigger interventions, uh, and and for Crohn's and colitis that can and often does include surgery and so on. Um, the gaps between those, which is maybe ninety percent of the time, are people living with a uh, what can be a very debilitating condition. For me, fortunately, it's very very mild, so I, I you know I I don't uh, suffer on that level particularly. Um, but for a lot of people, it is extremely difficult to live with as a condition You're very poorly a lot of the time. And so what support exists for people in that situation to help them uh, manage? Because there's plenty of things people can do with their lifestyle and so on that can help to improve, um, uh, you know, the various outcomes from their condition. But um, until now, from a personal point of view, um, there are apps and things out there that you can play around with none of them have i found particularly useful um but this i think could be um could be really really interesting and i think that you've already got a, a track record right roland of some impressive uh results from from people who've trialed it already um and i'd be quite yeah. interested to know in in how um how the ai itself works and how that's growing and improving over time yeah yeah sure so um regarding the the the, the results first we have uh, tested this tested this extensively with the patient foundation so we have been working closely with the patient foundation because um our main objective is to help patients so nori health was uh, founded by patients and it needs to add value to patients that is the most important thing so we have been working with the foundation and um over the past few months we have established uh, very positive results in terms of quality of life um, and also daily management of these conditions because it is so personal. Uh, like you said, for you, the uh, condition is relatively mild. For me, it's a bit, um, um, a bit worse. Uh, so I, have, I uh, struggle with quite some symptoms um, and these get worse uh, by the day or they get better by the day mm. uh, depending on a lot of different factors. So the personalized nature of the condition is very hard to treat as well, of course. Um, yeah. So that's why um, we, we have um, come to technology to uh, solve that problem and to make sure that we can help people at scale but on a very personalized level. And that is where AI comes in as well, of course. So um, based on your personal profile that Nori builds with every conversation, uh, she decides basically what um, would add the most value at this point. So whenever you start a new conversation with Nori, she decides based on that uh, uh, situation um, what you should discuss and what you could potentially try um, um, to help yourself get uh, a bit better. Can you give the listeners some sort of indication as to how sophisticated the kind of AI engine is that, that underpins your platform and, and how, how maybe it will improve in the future as, as more and more people use the app? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, so um, to, to, um, to put first like technology like AI or chatbots, it's, 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 it's not our main uh, f um, uh, objective to implement technology. Like we, we, we are using uh, technology for a certain mission. 
and that is to help these patients. So whatever technology helps, um, um, we use. Mm -hmm. So we are not trying to implement the most sophisticated AI model, um, uh, but we are trying to implement AI models that actually work. So we are looking very much at the personalization of the journey um, and the providing uh, uh, of information to specific uh, patients at a specific time. So that is the most important thing. Um, and we do that, of course, by different algorithms that we have designed ourselves and that are uh, optimized with every conversation. So, of course, it very much helps um, uh, when more patients are starting to use it, um, it will get better. That is, uh, 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 that is the basis, of course. Mm -hmm. So can I uh, just, just to follow up on that out of interest, the um, you would think that there's a clinical benefit as well. So in other words, the personalized help is being provided to patients, but yeah. presumably what you end up with is an awful lot of potentially very useful data that might be helpful to researchers, clin clinicians, to help them understand more fully um, a lot of the things that are going on with their patients when they're not in the room with them. Is, is that something part of what you're thinking about and doing yeah yeah sure yeah it is it is obviously our goal to become part of the care pathway and to help uh, uh, health systems in better understand these patients but also uh, to better support them and to of course lift the burden of uh, 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 healthcare workers that are overwhelmed with uh, questions and uh, visits and um, just an overall um, intense workload especially during these times of course um, so yeah, that is that is definitely our uh, our goal. Before before we talk about these times, as you said, there, uh, Roland. Obviously, we're, we're talking about coronavirus. There, do you want to just tell your personal story in a, in a bit more detail? Because I know the, the, the motivation to to create this this app and to to be such a, a strong influence in the in the community that you're you're trying to help is it's a very yeah. personal story for you, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, it is my personal drive to 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 make this happen and to help people like me so this company is not primarily driven by making money or or or, or something like that or to 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 become some kind of multi-million dollar um uh, company um but we are trying to help people and that is because of my personal situation of course like i know how input impactful this disease is uh, how difficult it is to live with this on a daily basis um and of course there are many other chronic diseases that are um, um, just the same way. So a lot of invisible diseases like this. So, so whenever I arrive somewhere, people don't see that I'm sick. But um, of course, I have to struggle with every new situation. So whenever I go to dinner, for example, with friends, I have a lot of struggles going on in my mind that people don't know about. Um, at my workplace or um, any any other situation, this disease has a direct impact. So that is very, um, uh, very impactful. So me personally, I was 18 when I got diagnosed. Um, many others are diagnosed even earlier during, uh, uh, during their teenage years, um, which is of course a situation where you are pretty uh, vulnerable. So you are, pretty, uh, you are very much developing as a person. Um, uh, as an as an as an uh, pre-adolescent and you have a lot of problems going on and you don't need this problem on top of that so um a lot of people deal with trauma based on uh, uh, based on that period of time so um it is it is very uh, very strong for me um as a driver to 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 make an impact and to use my uh, passion for for technology and for digital health specifically to 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 really make a difference so um, yeah, you can you can definitely say that it, that I'm uh, driven to uh, to make this succeed. Yeah, it's through things like um, Nori app, I think, and through maybe even podcasts like this, where we actually talk about it quite openly and say, look, you know, this is if you want, especially relevant now, if you want healthcare services to be better able to deal with um, uh, to to deal with patients of whom there are more all the time and uh, at the same time resources continue to dwindle in a healthcare context, um, then it's this sort of thing and maybe broadened out beyond that to, to telemedicine more generally that will ultimately re relieve that burden but also make for much, much better outcomes for patients by getting it out in the open. 
the thing that has been very surprising to us is that people are so open to Nori. So they are talking to a chatbot and not to a human being, um, but they share their frustrations and they are very open on a personal level. So people feel very guilty about not being able to fully support their husband or wife in the household or taking care of children or stuff like that. Um, so it goes much further than, 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 than practical problems. Um, and these are things that you cannot discuss every day with your partner as well. Like I see that for myself as well. I don't want to discuss these things every day with my wife because um, this is this is for me a very big issue. But uh, I don't want to put that burden on her. And this is where Nori helps. Uh, and that was for us a big surprise as well. But um, uh, you see that um, the compassionate nature of Nori really helps uh, uh, to bond with patients and to and to really. Uh, offer a understanding um, uh, ear basically to their um, uh, to their issues so that's really interesting and your cause is a very noble one Roland and you know we wish you the best in the future in, in, in supporting and, and hope as many people as many sufferers get the support through Nori that that they can yeah um, thank you so much no the fantastic so let, let's sort of widen the conversation and 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 uh, talk about coronavirus first of all Roland how, how has Nori been affected by by coronavirus as a business um, yeah, it's, 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 it's mainly a practical uh, change, of course. So everybody is working uh, remotely. So, so, so that is difficult because we, of course, have a small team and we have to work very dynamically um, um, and all the time and now even more. Um, so, yeah, it, 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 it has been challenging. Some uh, projects that we are working on have been postponed. Uh, others are being fast-tracked because um, um, the need from patients has grown. Um, so from my personal experience as well, like the, the current situation is very hard, of course. Um, I think for healthy people, it's also hard. Uh, the staying at home situation is difficult. Um, it puts strains on, 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 on what people can do, how they can work. Um, they have to take care of children, etc. Um, but for people with this kind of condition uh, that are considered high risk, um, they, they, they are facing uh, months of isolation so yeah it's a very different perspective um, uh, for me personally as well which which uh, changes the way I work um, I guess too but I'm trying uh, to to um, do the best I can yeah absolutely Rom where, where do you think technology has had its biggest impact on in, in fighting the pandemic and where will it have its biggest impact do you think Actually, you know, things like Nori and the efforts of people like Roland are probably, I hope, I think, going to be the sorts of innovations that emerge from this crisis with a new sense of importance as in terms of how other people regard them. Because uh, for all the reasons that Roland was just saying, these things are more important now than they ever have been because people who suffer silently all of the time anyway are suffering doubly right now. And um, the, the, the availability of technologies and innovations to be able to tackle that in the places where those people are in real time are, are going to be um, really, really important. And hopefully that will come out of this with a new sense of energy and uh, hopefully investment and, and so on. In terms of like the right now, obviously we're all reading all of the time about uh, how uh, people and governments, uh, institutions all around the world are trying to deal with the, with the outbreak. And, and we try to, uh, certainly in terms of what we do at Digital Bulletin, we're trying to peel some of those layers off and understand what technologies are, are coming to the fore. And truthfully, beyond uh, things like remote working tools um, and video conferencing, um, in terms of technologies that have been immediately deployed in order to solve the problem, um, it's hard to see anything yet. I think in the future, when we get to wave two and wave three of, uh, of COVID-19, we will see, I think, a lot more uh, interesting yeah. things, particularly see- in terms of AI um, and how that might help in um, creating perhaps a better response to, to the problem. But yeah, right and, now and, and and in and in the, the creation of a, of a vaccine which is obviously a, a very much a long-term product as well but a lot of a lot of big tech have certainly um put themselves into that into that sort of position where they they want to be seen to be helping wherever they can 
did you see the yeah. story about um and again this is this is something which isn't isn't an immediate help but the, the nhs so the national health service here in the uk is working alongside the likes of say all the big names microsoft aws google and and they are they are basically collaborating in sort of an unprecedented fashion to develop a, a data platform that will inform kind of the, the the response here to the coronavirus it's those kind of big projects which do take a bit longer where mm. the, the tech companies are, are going to come into play is that fair to say yeah i think um again that's essentially that's uh, i think true to what i was just saying which is yeah. I, I think those things will take a while to bring about um and when you're ingesting vast amounts of data and if you're then applying advanced analytics or ai type applications to that data it takes time, you know, you, you have to um, um, spend a, a good amount of time making sure that you're getting the right kind of data, that it's cleansed, that um, you can then do things with it. It's going to be hopefully mature and much more applicable and useful down the line a little way in the same way that a vaccine is a, down the line a bit away. Um, I, th I think, you know, right now, obviously, what we've seen is a dramatic response to an immediate threat with the mm. virus. And most of the, um, the, the, the technologies that have been most useful straight away have been to do with how people can continue to, to work and live from home using digital technologies. But, but also in terms of how those technologies have helped people in, particularly, in particular the healthcare industry yeah. um, to continue doing what they do. There, I, we don't re read much about it, but there are a lot of people in the healthcare industry who aren't dealing with coronavirus right now. They're doing all of the other things that the healthcare industry always needs to do anyway. And a lot of them need to be doing it from home. And so you, you read stories about uh, telemedicine and how lots of, um, you know, much more run of the mill kind of everyday sorts of um, uh, clinical um, activities are going on remotely via video via cameras via whatever some of these stories are interesting in that they're jury rigged um cobbled together kind of devices i think was it um was it uh singapore or, or somewhere uh, in that part of the world where the doctors had created a robot that could shuffle itself around with an ipad in order to to meet people um mm -hmm. and you know these things are the um innovation in the under pressure as it were where is actually you know when uh, that's when most innovation happens really is when you you have an absolute need those kind of responses i think are the ones that are really the story of this whole experience later we will see the bigger advances that that come about from yeah. that's my own view roland, uh, you think, roland. <laughs> no i was going to say roland roland do you, do you think the coronavirus will have a lasting impact on how healthcare is is, is provided in in the future with sort of technology at the center of that ron mentioned yeah. sort of telehealth virtual care you guys are kind of in that space as well where you're using technology to interact with a, a patient or you know a, a sufferer do, do you think things will change sort of for good after this Definitely, yeah. I think from 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 the perspective of digital health, I think um, this this could be the big um, uh, point of change. So you have seen, of course, a very clear distinction between traditional care and um, digital care, um, and I think that will change after this. So I think it will blend together to just become healthcare. So so we are not talking about digital healthcare anymore uh, but just healthcare and 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 i think that will come out of this i think that we now see the need for uh, these additional tools not just for communication but also for support for vaccine development like you said so um, um when you look at the speed that we are working on right now like without uh, digital tools like this cannot um have happened at all um uh, one thing that that, that is probably also um, very much coming out of this is the um, uh, personal support for people with a infection uh, not coming into the hospital but are sick at home um, here in the Netherlands we have an application that is provided through hospitals for people that actually are infected uh, but they don't have to go to the hospital but of course these people are very anxious uh, they don't understand certain symptoms or um, uh, so, to, so they have a direct connection with uh, doctors and nurses in order to ask questions and to help them. Uh, so these kind of tools, of course, never existed um, uh, specifically in, 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 in the situation that we now have. Um, and also apps for tracing, for example. So I know 
several countries are looking for like a national application uh, in terms of tracing patients and 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 the people they have been in touch with, um, which of course sparks a lot of discussions about privacy as well. Um, but I think all these things will will contribute to a, a completely new healthcare um, environment. I, t- I tell you what, just a, a side thought. This may sound a bit silly, but I think one of the most important um, technologies during this crisis hasn't been a healthcare technology at all. It's been um, Netflix and it's been, <laughs> you know, OTT streaming platforms, that sort of stuff. If you imagine that this pandemic had occurred five, 10 years ago, when those sorts of things simply weren't available, and most people were still dialing up to the internet or whatever it was. Yeah, and you'd um, have to go down to Blockbusters and, and buy a, right. or rent a VHS, which you wouldn't obviously be able to do. Right, and, so, but, and then you asked everybody, everybody, billions of people to stay in their houses for weeks. Hmm. How likely is it that that would have been effective without the sort of things that, we've now, that we're now able to do to, to keep ourselves entertained and so on? I actually think that that's been critical to to the effectiveness of the lockdown itself. I mean, I can't imagine blockbuster video would have been a primary transmission vector if this had happened. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That yeah. and grocery stores. Um, I, it would be great to see some sort of analysis of that. I'm, I'm not sure how you would analyze it, but I'm I'm convinced that it's that the general availability of of connectivity, firstly, and um, services such as that have been very important. <laughs> Of course, it's a it's a matter of perspective. I think if we if we didn't have those uh, solutions in place, like we wouldn't we wouldn't know better. Of course, so then we would probably uh, <laughs> fill our times with making drawings or uh, looking at flowers in the garden or whatever. So um, maybe maybe twenty years from now, when there's when there's a different pandemic and we all live in like a VR world, we would probably say like, what if we didn't have this VR world? Like, what uh, what have we done? Uh, yeah, so it's um, yeah, it's probably um, it's probably very difficult to say, but uh, but of course it very much helps uh, to keep people entertained. Yeah, definitely. Really, really good chat, guys. I think it's important that we uh, that we move on now. I think f- for me, I mean, the, the next thing to look out for, really, and, and the role technology plays in this is 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 when we come out of lockdown, and at what point our our authorities decide that we do that, and whether that is a sort of data led decision obviously it's such a critical decision to avoid another surge in um in coronavirus cases so yeah um interesting to see how this develops from a technological point of view and obviously from health health point of view uh, up next we are going to stay in the healthcare world and revisit our digital bulletin case study on german healthcare giant hartmann group coming your way after this Find us as Digital Bulletin on LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram and at Digi underscore Bulletin on Twitter. At the end of last year, back when travelling and meeting people wasn't a distant dream, we at Digital Bulletin hopped on a plane and flew to Heidenheim in Germany. It was there where we met Sinanadin Omahodic, CIO for Hartmann Group, a healthcare company which makes products primarily in disinfection, incontinence and wound management. Now, we're going to hear from Sinanadin shortly, but first up, Rom, we should probably talk about the, the long history of Hartmann Group and, and, and its founder, Paul Hartmann. It's a, it's a company that has been really at the cutting edge of healthcare innovation for, for some time. Well, yeah, I mean, Paul Hartmann, uh, the dude uh, in, in Germany... Um, well, as, he was, as he was known uh, in the mid 1800s yeah, um, yeah de, in German I'm not sure he effectively in a roundabout way through partnerships with others invented um, an industrialised version of the sterilised bandage and which sounds quite simple, but you know the, the, the technology uh, or the theory was, was invented by others but he's he's the guy that turned it into a reality and in doing so saved countless millions of lives i mean it, it really is that simple and they've been doing the same thing ever since and they do it on a big big scale um we went to see them in heidenheim in germany and I, as far as i could tell they basically own the town i mean most <laughs> half of the town is essentially their campus um the the road that the the address that we went to was i think uh, Paul Hartmann Strasser, wasn't it? Or yeah, I yeah. think something like yeah. that. So, um, but one, one, what was inspirational about it? We went there to meet um, 
Sinanadin Omohodic, who's the CIO, um, to learn about how, how they're taking actually what is a very old company doing kind of the same thing. I mean, they're innovating their products to make them better all the time, obviously, but it's, it's kind of the same thing they've, they've always done. Um, to answer questions about how they can leverage digital and technology to change how they operate, to make themselves better, but to also ultimately benefit patients more. The, the thing that yeah. stood out to me when we, when we went there was, was, was this word innovation. And actually, a lot of people don't really like the word innovation because they feel it's a bit, um, you know, a bit fake and a, a bit of a buzzword. But actually, Sinanadin was very much into it. And you could tell that genuinely, this, this was a company who was very proud of the innovations that it has made over the course of its history. You walked through the, into the main lobby of the building and you've, you've got a, a, a stone sort of statue of um, Paul Hartman right there. And you've got like a timelines on the wall of, of everything that the company has achieved over the last 150 years. And, and I think it, for me, I mean, th- that was, th- this is genuine innovation, like saving lives, genuine, genuine innovations. Now, that that's certainly a type of innovation that we can all we can all get behind. And and in this in this next clip, we're going to hear from Sinanadin talking about what innovation means to Hartman Group today in in the twenty first century. Innovation is key in the time of on the era of digitalization. So what we see in the last 10, 20 years is a huge change on the business, but also on the society, uh, how technology impacts our lives. Um, and this is a time where many companies, organizations, units in organizations, support functions, almost everybody, every function um, in organizations like Hartmann get impacted through technologies. So it's a time, it's a very important in this time of change to be very innovative and to be the front runner. Innovation is a very key element in the IT strategy because we see us one of the key enablers helping the business to adopt, but as well enhance utilizing technologies. Now, obviously, this is a, a technology story, but Rom, certainly when, when we were there and reading the article and, and watching the videos, you get the sense from everybody that the, the people who work for Hartman are buying into this, this purpose of going further for health. And it really mm. is just as um, Roland was saying about Norrie Health and having that focus on patients and support, it really is at, you know, a much larger scale at Hartman Group that that focus is the same, isn't it, on, on, on healthcare? Yeah, absolutely. And there's always what they're trying to do and what they have done is, is engineer a fairly um, seismic transformation in how they run their their IT infrastructure and so on supported by a lot of able partners like SAP and Siemens who we met Um, but there's always two sides to that story one is um, let's build a strategy and let's look at the technologies and let's develop those and, and roll them out the other side is the 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 fleshy awkward emotional um human side of it and what Sinanadin demonstrated, uh, as well as the leadership team that he had around him, was that they've been able to really foster a, 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 a unified culture of, of, of embracing the change that they, that they want to bring about. And that's far um, harder to do than it sounds. That's always the, the, the main problem that people have when they go on these kind of journeys. As far as we can tell, reporting on things from the outside is that it's, re- it's rarely the technologies that cause problems. It's normally how people adopt and, and use them. And if you don't do both of those things simultaneously, then it tends to, to falter and fail ultimately. So it was inspiring to go to Hartman and understand that um, they, from top, from root to branch, from top to bottom, as a company, they are completely um, on board and clear about what it is that they're trying to do. And yeah. um, there's lessons to be learned there, I think, for lots of larger organizations. Absolutely. A key achievement for Omahodic has been to shape his IT team in a way that helps Hartman stay ahead in the rapidly developing world of advanced technologies. Next, we have a clip from Alexandra Fibitz, who is one of Hartman's, quotes, technology leaders within the IT function. Here, Alexandra gives us some extra insights into her role. IT, in order to adapt to the change that is happening outside, is also evolving. And we were, a few years ago, have, um, establishing, we were establishing a new role concept with 
three specific roles, technology leader market, technology leader scout, and technology leader processes. And this is something that is very, very unique for Hartman as well. Um, so our technology leader markets are responsible to really understand the customer side, going out to the market, seeing what is happening out there and understanding what the wishes, what the experiences from our customers are and bring them into Hardmat again to really find solutions that are customized and customer centric. The technology leader scouts are responsible to screen new technologies to see what technologies are outside that can be adapted to the Hartman world and in order to find really new business models, um, data-driven business models um, with a from a technology perspective that are really helping to going the way into the digital transformation journey. And the third part is uh, our technology leader process perspective or the role of our technology uh, leader processes who are responsible for our internal efficiency. So some, some nice insights there from Alexandra on, on the sort of setup of, of that IT team and, and, and these key technology leader roles that, that link sort of the core IT teams to the, to the wider business. That structure really is, is, well, it will be being tested right now uh, in, in, this, in this pandemic, won't it? And actually, you'd like to think that having people who have been almost stepping out of, of the day-to-day -day business and looking at innovative and, and, and different technologies that could help. Hopefully Hartman are, are sort of seeing the benefits of that now. Yeah, you'd think. I mean, the, the, the real value of that is probably showing itself right now. Um, the, the pressure is on to find innovative solutions to very big problems. And, and certainly from Hartman's perspective as a manufacturer, their problems are probably largely supply chain ones. They are um, distribution ones. They are, you know, how do they ramp up the scale of what they're doing? Um, people like Alexandra, of course, are sitting in the middle of that tasked specifically with finding solutions to problems. And so she's probably quite busy right now. Yeah. And, in, in the end, Hartman, I, I'm sure, will be able to look at um, this period of time, obviously as a very challenging one, and understand how well their new systems have responded to that. And imagine how well they may have uh, performed before they had carried out some of this transformation work. And um, I think Hartman's lucky in that sense. They've already gone through a, um, a lot of transformation process they've already done a lot of this work they've already implemented a lot of the technologies that will enable them to do some of these things other organizations obviously are not going to be um, as lucky they're further behind on this journey and what they're trying to do now is those things and so uh, there's some interesting reading I've been doing around um, the sort of search terms that people are using um, at the moment to try to understand um, suddenly how to find out what the right technologies are to everything from allowing people to work from home through to much more um, serious applications like ERP and so on to, to, to help them very, very quickly transform um, in a digital sense. And so there will be winners and losers from this. I'm fairly sure Hartman will be one of the winners. Yeah. Now, if you're interested, listener, in learning more about Hartman Group and the work it's doing, we have some videos and a feature-length article over on digitalbullet.in. But now it's time to move on to our final topic, which is about AI specifically in healthcare. So we'll dive in after this very short interlude. Don't go away, listener. Power up your day with the Bulletin Brief, the latest news, insights, and opinion delivered straight to your inbox. Subscribe now at digitalbullet.in. Without wanting to repeatedly remind you all about how things used to be, we're now going to look back at an event that Digital Bulletin went along to earlier this year. Specifically, this was a hackathon organized by Microsoft's healthcare arm alongside ICS AI and UI Centric, two small but genuinely fascinating startups at the coalface when it comes to AI applications in medicine. Rom, you're at the event. Um, what went down inside the, the brilliantly named Microsoft Reactor? It's, it's, it's a great name, that, isn't it, for a, what's essentially just a room with some chairs in. Yeah, it, that, essentially, that's what it is. Um, yeah, Microsoft has a number of these reactor facilities around uh, the world. As far as I know, they are incubation spaces, if you like. It's a place for them to organize events, um, uh, tackle particular challenges and topics around uh, technologies, uh, particularly with uh, startups and so on, where 
Um, in the end, of course, what Microsoft is actually trying to do is, is to show people all of its wonderful tools and say, look at all the amazing things you could do with them. Uh, and in this particular case, it was um, an event focused on uh, how AI and chatbots, in fact, specifically can be used in a healthcare context. So Roland might have enjoyed this event. Um, it was, um, it had a lot of uh, people there. It was co-hosted by ICSAI over here uh, and UI-centric. Um, along with Microsoft and most of the people that were there in attendance were actually um, from the from NHS trusts so technology um, leadership type individuals from um, trusts around the UK and they sat there all day and thought what are the things that we could apply uh, chatbot specifically to in a, a healthcare context and what was quite uh, interesting um, that emerged from that was um, perhaps lay, lay people like us would think, well, we automatically assume that AI is going to benefit uh, uh, hospitals and things like that. Um, clinically, we think, well, you know, uh, they, AI should be really good at looking at lots of x-rays uh, and, and being better at diagnosing potential problems than, than humans and, and things like that. But that's um, actually, I now know, quite naive in terms of the way of thinking about these things almost all of the, the results from this hackathon were to do with how you run a hospital. It wasn't to do with clini clinical stuff at all. It was to do with um, the enormous um, operational overheads in any hospital where the administration um, is, is, is the, the one thing that draws so much time from human beings away from perhaps doing things that are m more valuable i.e spending time with patients and um whether it's whether it's paperwork whether it's ordering things whether it's shuffling things around um all sorts of different areas and so lots of these people came up with with quite simple chatbot solutions which would enable um processes in a hospital to be made simpler by tying in one or two or more systems um, through a conversational interface uh, and getting to to the end result uh, it might be ordering uh, prescriptions for example um, or checking on medical records or however it might be um, I think the challenge of course is always uh, certainly in 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 this country anyway um, integration because the conversational inter interface is only as good as the things it interfaces with and yeah. um, we've got I know in this country certainly we've got a very fragmented um, patchwork of of healthcare tools and systems and technologies all over the country um, that's a product of you know the history of the way this stuff has been commissioned and deployed around the uk it's a nationalized system but the systems are not uniform or coherent they're all they're different wherever you go and so finding solutions to that um, those the integration of those things is key but you would imagine um, that a, a, an AI interface over the top, conversational interface over the top, is in the end going to be a really good way of of masking that kind of crazy jigsaw of stuff so that in the end you present people that need a clear, um, sensible way of interacting with these various systems. One way of doing it, and that's through a conversation with, with a bot. And I, the potential I, is, is huge, I think. Yeah, I think the, the key word you said there, Rom, is simple. Actually, my main takeaway from this this whole thing was that I don't I don't think it's really sort of known how not not cheap, but certainly not ha you know th these things don't necessarily have to cost a huge amount of money, and they don't necessarily have to take ages and ages to install or integrate. And actually, you can make you can make gains in inefficiency quite quickly with with AI tools. Obviously, AI has quite a bad reputation generally to, to you know, across the board, but actually those of, those of us who look into it more know that, you know, we, these tools are actually deployable quite quickly. And, and, and Roland, I want to bring you in here because obviously this is, this is kind of your area as well. Do, do, do you think that's true? Do you think that there needs to be more messaging around how, um, how, how actually look chatbots, AI, certain solutions in this area can, can, can be, can be used quite easily? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I and I and I uh, also definitely recognize the issue with all the different um, platforms and 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 
um, technical solutions that have been implemented at hospitals or or or, or trusts here in the Netherlands. It's um, it's the same thing. So 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 that doesn't help. Um, that's why we decided as well to work as a standalone platform so that we don't have the whole implementation process, um, especially during pilots. Um, so, so, so this is something that we need to overcome in order to um, uh, deploy things quickly because I, I, I definitely believe that a lot of these solutions can help. Um, uh, so not um, uh, just for clinical practice, but also, um, uh, like Ron mentioned, in a, in, a, in a very practical way. So think about triage, for example, uh, providing guidelines uh, or, 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 or patient information, especially during times like these, but also during uh, more normalized times. Um, and of course, the whole personalization of uh, treatment, both in and out of the hospital. So uh, it could really help um, uh, healthcare workers as well to have very efficient uh, conversations with patients when they come into the hospital because they come prepared. So uh, AI can really help to uh, offer personalization um, uh, there. So, yeah. What about chatbots specifically, Roland? Because we know that there are some bad chatbots out there and people have bad experiences with chatbots, but what role do you think chatbots have in, in the sort of future, yeah. future of healthcare provision? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think I think the problem has been that we considered chatbots as a um, uh, a competitor for human interaction. So it is of course very hard to make a uh, um, a digital copy of human interaction. That is that is um, uh, well, the, the the biggest minds um, alive have tried that, and it doesn't really work. Um, so that's why with Nori as well, we have turned that around. So we are not opening this platform for people to uh, ask anything they, they, they want, but um, we put the chatbot in, in the lead, basically. So the chatbot leads you through all the different uh, uh, topics and information that could add value to you. And of course, you could respond and you can have a conversation, um, but it is the other way around. So, so um, I think we need to set a new standard when it comes to to chatbots that we don't want to mimic a uh, human level of interaction, uh, but we look at the value that it can bring and the outcomes that it can change um, and design it for that reason. So uh, it could really help, like I said, with um, uh, providing uh, information, with triage, with digital therapeutics, of course, uh, guiding patients uh, in medication trials, uh, supporting vulnerable groups of patients. Uh, so, so there are many, many different uh, implementations possible. Yeah, I think you, you can clearly see like the potential of this, especially if you duplicate that that model that you've spoken about that you, that you use with Nori, where it's it's led by the chat. But you can you can certainly see that being used in many different areas of healthcare. But you can also sure. see the challenges, can't you, in, in in healthcare, where where often the communication and the information being being exchanged is is so important that it's accurate and that the you know any any kind of interaction is is useful as well to to the person to the person using it. Um, uh, on a more yeah. gen general point, I mean, Martin Neal, who was, who was interviewed for this piece, who's the CEO of ICS AI, he, he, he made a point that the healthcare industry as a whole has, has, has been behind the curve historically when it comes to sort of these kind of innovations and, and integrating technology. Why, why do you guys think that is? I'm not sure, but I, I, I think um, it is mostly um, um, because of the sensitive nature, of course, of the uh, audience that you are working with. So you are working in um, many cases uh, with a matter of uh, life or death, um, which makes it very hard to just randomly implement new solutions. So there, of course, is a very a logical, strict selection uh, based on uh, clinical evidence, on risk analysis, on uh, uh, things like that. So um, I think that is why you see that it takes more time, that processes are longer, um, and that people are just a bit anxious when it comes to implementing tools that um, they do not know or, or, or that are new. Um, so um, you see that it, that it takes more time than in other sectors where you could show 
um, uh, a better overview of these risks involved and the cost that can be saved, for example. So uh, when you're looking at a health system and the implementation of digital health tools, you will probably need years of data and research in order to show what, it, what the impact is on uh, a specific group of patients. Um, and that is, of course, very much different than uh, looking at the retail sector, for example, where you can show uh, very direct impact and, 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 and a clear return on investment as well, for example. Now, Roland, this, this event was a, was a hackathon, obviously, where, where a group of very clever people get together and try and, and try and build out tools and solutions in the space of an afternoon. Are you, are you a believer in, in that type of development to sort of fast track things? Is that something you, you guys have deployed at all at um, Norrie? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I think those kind of events spark a lot of um, uh, great ideas to work with. So, so, so I don't think you can build a sustainable company, of course, within a, 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 within such a short amount of time. Um, but of course, when you bring uh, people like that together, it's it's very inspirational and. Uh, a lot of great concepts come out of it. So I've been I've been involved in a few myself as well, um, and yeah, it's a great way to 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 get things started. Um, of course, the follow up is the most important thing. So uh, what you see from from a lot of those concepts is that um, it just dies down afterwards, um, and that of course is a pity. So uh, hopefully these guys will continue to work on it and to and to and to bring it into a more um, uh, serious level. Yeah. Now I know there were some really cool ideas certainly that came out of the um, the Azure Health Hack to give it its its official title. Now there's an article on that hackathon in the latest edition of the Digital Bulletin magazine, issue number 15. Now it's time for us to wrap up this podcast, but let me cheekily extend this plug. Issue 15 is well worth a read, featuring a brace of case studies from Innovation Group and Norfolk County Council. And quite frankly, listener, if you've got this far, then I'd like to think our wider family of podcasts will be of interest to you. There's Fragmented Reality, our series where we bust the buzzwords in enterprise tech and we also release our best long read articles in audio form alongside this our flagship monthly digital bulletin podcast now i want to say a big thank you to roland pater for coming on what's next on your work from home agenda roland thank you so much yeah i'm just uh diving back into our um, uh, daily business so a lot of uh emails to be handled and, 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 and projects to be taken on. So uh, I'm just uh, trying to get this to patients, basically. So we are mm-hmm. try- talking to um, uh, a lot of hospitals all over Europe to get this uh, to their patients for free. Um, so that is basically our current uh, mission, trying to get this to, um, to a lot of people. So Good luck. Full of admiration for the work that, that you guys are doing. And hopefully, yeah, Thank as you. I said earlier, you can continue to support sufferers of, of, of Crohn's disease and colitis. As usual, Romilly, thank you for your input. No problem at all. It's been extra special today, Roland. Thank you very much for that. And you certainly have my, all of my best wishes and continued support, however, however we can provide that. So very thank good you luck. So much. Yeah, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And thank you to you, listener. Make sure you stay safe. We'll be back soon. Until then, goodbye. That was the Digital Bulletin Podcast, brought to you by Bulletin Media. Listen and subscribe to a range of podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Plug into digitalbullets.in for news, features and case studies on the very latest in enterprise technology and digital transformation.